0: I don't know if he even remembers it, he would be my age now, but I do, because that moment changed my life. It changed the trajectory and the course in ways that I couldn't fathom, and I remember that moment. It was a powerful moment. It was on a school bus. I was in third grade, and one of my friends asked me if I would like to go with him To church on Wednesday night to a program their church had called Awanas, which was a a kind of a collective program just for kids, and it was games, and it was memorizing Scripture, and it was all sorts of things. And it sounded like a fun thing to do. I honestly had no idea what it was, but he invited me to go. And it was there at Awanas where I was introduced to this book. For the first time, in in the first nine years of my life, I I had not opened God's Word. It wasn't a regular staple in our home, and uh, not too long after I'd gone to two or three sessions of Awanas, I remember very clearly asking my, I believe it was my dad, if we had a Bible in the house, and he pointed me to one that was in a a shelf behind a door, and I begin to thumb through it. Little did I know how much one book would change my life. You and I are part of a story, an ongoing story. We know this story, the story of God and God's people. But God, don't you know, is writing your story. And perhaps you've had that moment where mo- one moment change every moment after that, don't you know, there's power in a story. Jesus told a story, and we're going to be talking about that story today, and it's powerful. It reminds us that we have a job to do, and that this story is not all about us. We are in a series called Contagious Christianity. It is part of our elders' desire that Northsiders should be intentional and purposeful about being personally evangelistic. This is not a, a launching campaign for some new church program or, or some new ministry or anything like that. It's, this is a, a call for each person who's a believer in Christ to revisit and re-acknowledge their commission given by the Savior to go about seeking the lost bringing the loss to Jesus. And you can't save anyone, neither can I. Okay? That's why we have a Savior. And so when, when you put the pressure on you and you think you have to save people and you have to have all the answers and you have to favor, of course, nobody wants to do that. But when you, then you acknowledge that it's not about you, it's about him, that he's working in your story in ways, and he's working in stories of people that you can influence in ways that you can't imagine. As part of this ongoing series on personal evangelism, today we're going to look at the powerful story known as the parable of the sower. It's found in Luke chapter 8, and I'll encourage you to turn there. If you don't know where Luke chapter 8 is, uh, grab a pew Bible. You'll turn to page 1,109. It's a simple story. It's a short story. Uh, The account of this story is found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And in all of those accounts, it is a small story. But just because it's a small story, don't misunderstand its power and the lesson that Jesus is trying to teach. We're going to look this morning at the shortest version of those accounts of the story found in the Gospel of Luke. And here's what Jesus, the story, the parable that he shares. When a great crowd was gathered and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot. And the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell along the rock. And as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And as he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. The first thing I want to tell you is that the parable is misnamed. I put the slide up because it's the story by which it is known, but the story really isn't about the sower. And that's one of the reasons I think we're so hesitant and reticent to share the gospel, because we think it's about us. That that if we share and it doesn't work, then it was something that we did wrong. But, But the parable is misnamed, because it's not really about the sower at all. The first thing that we must understand is that the seed is exceptional. I know you can read that point. I think there was a formatting issue there. But if you squint really tight and look at that slide, you can see it says the seed is exceptional. The seed is exceptional. Years ago, I had a, a good friend who was helping me to... Our lawn was just terrible. It was full of weeds and all sorts of junk. And I, I, I wanted to to... Basically, just start from scratch. And so I had a friend who knew how to do that, knew how to do that very well, and so he helped me, showed me how to do it. And as part of the reseeding process, the overseeding process, first we killed everything, and then we got this, I think they called it a Virta slicer, I don't know if exactly remember the name of the machine, There's this huge machine, and you poured the seed in. So he had this huge bag of seed that he brought, and on the outside of the bag, I'll never forget it, he said, or the the, the side of the, Bag of seeds, that said, good seeds don't cost, they pay. I thought, huh, I've never forgot that. The the, the seed that I was planting that day, I hoped was good seed. It was, it was exceptional. It grew up strong and thick, and the lawn still looks good today, even though I don't own that house anymore. Good seeds don't cost, they pay. Well, in this story, the sower has exceptional seed. Now, if you're if you're a star student, you're looking ahead just in the, in the Bible as Jesus interprets this parable. And he specifically says what the seed is in this parable. He says this. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the Word of God. Now, there's, there's two ways to think about this. The first is the Word of God right here, okay? This book... The words in it are special and powerful and effective and unique. Among all other books, there's something to it. The the prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 55 that God compares his words to the rain which comes down from heaven. That, that, That this water comes down and it waters things and it makes things grow and it makes things blossom and bud just as God intends it to do. He says, my words are like that. In the very beginning of the creation story... God's words are what set forth the, creative, the creation story. God said, let there be Right. Let's try it again. I can tell. You haven't studied the Bible. God said, let there be light. And there was. Isn't that interesting? You see, God said it, and then it was. Now, if you think about that these words are inspired by the very same God who did that, we understand that, we, that the seed is exceptional. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, if you want to mark down Hebrews four twelve, or turn there, it's on page 1,281. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. The writer says the word of God is living and active. It's living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit and of joints and of marrow and of the discerning of the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. These words are sharp. They're heavy. They're piercing. They're they're living. They do something that, well, you know, my, my job is to preach it. But the power is not in the preacher. The power is in the word that he preaches. There's something to this, and I can't fully describe it to you, but as I go through each week and I study and I prepare and I edit and I'm, I'm taking the word and I'm trying to cut it straight, what I'm doing here is I'm trying to present God's word. And I, I, this is kind of how I think about it, okay? Follow me here, guys. Um, I'm preaching the word, and I'm, as I preach it and as I go out, I'm, I'm laying it on Terry's heart. I'm putting it there, and I'm laying it there, and my hope is that the word sinks into his heart, okay? So the word is where the power is. And some people say, well, preacher, you stepped on my toes this morning. I'm sorry. I mean, you know, occupational hazard. But, but honestly, it's not my goal to step on anybody's toes. My goal is simply to present the word. And if the word convicts you, well, that's between you and the author, okay? Okay. <laughs> You have to decide how you want to respond to the Word, but we have an exceptional seed with God's Word. So that's why when you're listening to a sermon, when you have your Bible open, when you're paying attention, when you're writing down the Scriptures, what you're doing there is taking the Word into your heart. That's important because the seed is exceptional. And I said that's the first interpretation of the seed. But I want you to think just a little bit deeper here for, just with me for just a second. I want you to remember the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John starts in a very different way, as as John is prone to do. He uses this visual, and he takes us all the way back to the beginning, and he says this, John chapter 1, page 1137. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, he's not saying there that in the beginning was a book or a scroll. That's not what he's saying. He's saying in the beginning was the word. Christ is the living word. And so there's two ways to understand this. The word as in the teachings of God, which are perfect and infallible, but also the word in the sense of the Son of God, the living word who teaches, rebukes, trains, corrects, for the purpose of raising holy people. So whether we're talking about the, the word of God. The, the words or the living word of God as John would describe it. We understand that the seed is exceptional. The second observation. You're going to have to squint hard on this one too. Is this. The sower was faithful. The sower was faithful. That There was something about the sower in this parable that is important and significant. The sower had one job. What do you think that job was? Aha, that's right. Some of the star students say the sower's job, and this is profound, was to sow. It's important that we understand because sometimes we get out of our lane. Sometimes we think, "Well, my my job is to, my job is to save. My job is to to answer all the questions. My job is to be the b- smartest person in the room." No, the sower's job is to sow. And so, verse five says, "A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, and here's what happens. This is profound, right? His success as a sower." Lies in remembering his job. Our success in personal evangelism lies in remembering our job. Now, your job's not necessarily to water the seed, to fertilize the seed, to, to harvest the seed. That might happen. But if you're a sower, job number one is to sow. And so be faithful in the sowing. Bye. Even though the seed was exceptional, and even though the sower was faithful, he still had a problem. And that's the title of this morning's message, and it's this. The sower's got a struggle, and it's this. Not every seed sprouts. In fact, he kind of gives the implication that the odds are one in four that it will sprout. Why is that? Well, a couple of answers here. Verse 5, as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. You see, sometimes you sow some seed, and it falls on soil that's hard and compressed, and it doesn't sink in, and the birds come and snatch it away. And maybe you ask yourself, why is that? Why did that happen? And the answer is easy. The birds got some. You say, why is it? What about the birds? You can, I don't know the answer to that. You can spend a lot of time chasing birds, but you have to leave the field. No, God doesn't, doesn't call you to, to chase the birds. What does he call you to do? I forgot. What is the sower's job? To sow. And so you can get upset about the birds, but. The birds are just the way it is. Perhaps my friend riding on the bus next to me had invited other people to Awanas, and maybe they didn't choose to go because they had something else, or they forgot about it, or they didn't particularly like that kid, or something like that. Why? Why did the birds get some? I I wouldn't sign up for that. That's not a useful endeavor to try to analyze that. No, your job is simply to sow. And see that the sower didn't stop just because of the birds. He kept sowing. That's what sowers have to do. Sowers got to sow. But he says, verse, verse 6, this, then, then something else happens. Some fell along the rock. And as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. So so the second reason seeds don't sprout is sometimes the the sun withers some. The soil's too shallow. And you ask, well, well, why is that? Why was it that I planted the seed here and the soil was too shallow and the sun was so hot? Why did that happen? I wouldn't wouldn't try to figure that out. Because your job is to sow. And sometimes the birds are going to get some and sometimes... The sun's going to come out in the heat of the day. Some are going to sprout and wither very quickly because they don't have any root. You can question birds and sun and rocks and shallow uh, soil depth and all of that, but, but to do all that, you've got to stop sowing. And the sower, the sower knew he couldn't do that because he had one job, and it was to sow. And some, verse 7, fell among the thorns. And the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And, I, and I've, I've seen that happen. I've seen people say, yes, I want to obey Christ. I'm ready to, to, to be buried with him in baptism. I'm ready to begin that journey. I'm ready for salvation and, and the gift of the Holy Spirit and to walk in newness of life. And, and they, they're baptized and then, and then they, they, just, they just kind of fall away rather quickly. They get, they get choked out by the little things of life. By school and by friends and by jobs and by money and by cares and pleasures of the world, and see sowers can get caught up and say, "Well, why, why did that happen why did why did we sow the seed and it planted and it grew and then it got choked out. Why did that happen and I just wouldn't try to figure that out it's just the way it is sometimes you sow the seed and the the birds get some sometimes you sow the seed and the sun dries up something that sprung up too quickly sometimes sometimes it springs up but it gets choked out and and you can worry about you can worry about the birds and the sun and the soil and the and the, the thorns but but that's not your job your job is to I know, some of you are really getting into this sermon now. So, Get to the point, preacher! The point is, the sower kept on sowing. And he didn't stop and he didn't obsess, he just understood that some, some seed would, would, would not make it. In fact, if he was planting four, he's got three, he's zero for three. Did he stop? No. Now, he didn't stop because he knew his job was to continue sowing. Birds and sun and thorns are just the way it is. So what's the sower's secret? What does he do? Surely he's discouraged. Surely he's... Thinking it's something he's doing. He, he didn't attend enough sewing classes. He, he, didn't, he didn't go to enough seminars. He didn't hear a good enough speaker on the topic of sewing. He, he surely just, he's, he's casting it wrong. He's something in the elbow. It's just if you just adjust his method. And no, he can't, he can't worry about that because he's, he's got to continue sewing if he wants to be successful. And that's the, that's the secret to success is to keep sewing. Because the birds are going to get some. And, and the sun is going to wither others. And the thorns are going to choke out many things. But the, the key to success, near as I can tell, the, the powerful lesson, the simple story is to keep sowing. The more you sow, the, the more you grow. Some of you aren't tracking with me here, so let me give a let me give a visual here that might help, okay? Get in, come here. Come here. Now, I want you to know this is not a setup, okay? So I'm going to have Gideon, I ask him there's one qualification for being called this morning and that is you had to be able to shuffle cards. Okay? Can you shuffle that deck for me? Let's say three. (laughs) All right. Now, Gideon has shuffled this deck of cards. Now, this deck of cards, if you'll hand it back to me, this deck of cards, I'm just going to cut it here. I want you to pick one. Pick which one. Pick that one. Okay. All right. So, what I want you to do, this represents 52 people in your life, right? You're a Christian. You're a believer. God's called you... To go and share God's word. All right. So what we're going to do is pretend that every time you draw a card, it's a face card. That means they, they've believed and they've been baptized and they've converted to Christ. Okay? So go ahead. Draw a card. What is that? A four. A four. Get in. It didn't work. You went to the sermon series. You're going to Jeff's class. You're reading your Bible. What did you do? Something. Something. No, you didn't do anything. Didn't do anything wrong. Here's the problem. Sometimes we get to sowing the seed and we share it one time and it doesn't work. And we say, oh, it must have been the sower. No, that couldn't be it, could it? (laughs) We think it could have been the seed, but that couldn't be it. Now, sometimes it just hits bad soil. So you try again. Oh, Gideon, you only got a three. <laughs> he shared it. He shared it again. He listened extra good during the sermon. He went to the teen class. He, he looked at the back of the Bible, the Pew Bible. He, he tried to get everything right. Now, how are you feeling right now? You're zero for two. Not very good. Not very good. See, this is where most Christians get. Because they think it's about the sower. It's not about the sower. It's not even really about the seed. It's about the condition of the soil. So Gideon, I don't want you to get discouraged. I want you to keep flipping. Oh no, Gideon! You've got a seven. You've shared the gospel of Jesus with three people. And each time they said, nope, nope, not today. It must have been you. That's what the enemy would want you to think. But it's not about the sower. It's not even about the seed. It's about the soil. And so what does the sower do? He keeps sowing. That's exactly right. And hey, he hit a jack. (laughs) They're all thinking, hooray, the sermon can go on. (laughs) But listen, he won a soul to Christ. As we talked about a couple of weeks ago, the soul is more valuable than anything on earth, and it means the world to this soul. But I don't want you to get, I don't want you to get the big head now. Get in, okay? Because it's still not about the sower. And now this guy is going to go reach, and he's going to start flipping the cards. And he's going to flip a card, and he's going to get discouraged. And whoa, he's going to get one on his second try. You see how this works? And now that guy is going to come, and he's going to flip one, and he's going to get discouraged, and get discouraged, and get discouraged, and get discouraged. And then he's going to find a missionary. Do you understand that when we get so focused on ourselves, we forget that our job is to sow the seed? Gideon, I want you to keep flipping the cards, knowing that not everyone, some will be kings. Not everyone, some will be queens. Some will be jacks. I'm not going through the whole deck, okay? Okay but it gets better. You see, if I do the law of averages, the odds of hitting a face card is about the odds that Jesus said we'd get of hitting good soil. And so when you hit bad soil, I don't want you to get discouraged because it's not about the sower. It's certainly not about the seed. It's about whether the sower will keep on sowing. Now that's just a lesson for you. Nobody else pay attention. Thank you, Gideon. See, the, the sower has to keep sowing if he wants to be successful. And Christians get discouraged because they get a few non-phase cards. They get a few jokers. And they think, I'm a failure. I haven't done it right. Must be something with me. Now, the sower, if he wants to be successful, needs to keep flipping the card you know why because because one time that seed will hit fertile ground and it'll sink into a heart that's soft and receptive and ready and passionate and that seed will grow exponentially 30 60, hundred times what was sown. I could tell you lots of stories about people who are 30, 60, hundred times. I'll tell you this about my uh, friend, Jason Lawrence. Jason Lawrence was somewhere around 8, 9, 10 years old. And he was invited to camp, a Christian camp. He wasn't raised in a Christian home he was invited to a Christian camp, like some of you are going to Silver Maple this week. And that camp changed his life. It changed his eternity. And he not only became a Christian, he's not, not just baptized into Christ, but he became a, a passionate student of God's Word. And he began to teach other people. And he brought people in his own family to Christ in his wife's family, to Christ, all because of one person making one invitation, planting one seed. Sometimes you'll ask. Sometimes you'll invite. Sometimes you'll share. Sometimes you'll plant the seed and it goes nowhere. And it's not about you. And I just want you to keep planting. Keep planting. Keep planting. Because sometimes you get a Jason Lawrence. Sometimes, you get someone who changes the trajectory of not only their lives, but 10,000 other lives. I always try to end with something a little bit practical, so I want to do that this morning. This sermon series will not mean anything if you don't intentionally take it seriously. It's not an information problem. I can't find enough verses and creative ways to teach it. You just got to do it. The only way the sower makes any progress, gets any harvest, is to sow the seed. So I hope you've done what we've asked you to do. We, we, we ask you to list five names, to, to, to write down five names of people who do not know Jesus, people that you are in relationship, family members, friends, neighbors, coworkers, people that are on your heart that do not know Christ. I hope you've been praying for them. Now, I've got to be careful when I tell you praying for them. Here's Sometimes in the Christian circles, praying is a substitute for action. Praying means I don't really want to do anything about it, but I want to sound spiritual. So I'm just going to pray about it, which just means it's sort of a spiritual way of saying I'm not ever going to do anything. That's not how I want you to pray. I want you to be praying for the five people on your list with the intent of sharing the seed. Now, that's the first Part of our application, you got to share Christ. Oh no, oh no! You you mean I got to share? Isn't that your job, preacher? What are we paying you for? Can't I just call you and you share it with them? Oh, I can, but but I haven't built a relationship with them that you have. Well, I don't know enough. Well, are you a Christian? Would that, yeah, but I don't really want to do it. All right, I'm going to give you four scriptures, and you can just write these down. We're not going to go through all of them. But you have to share Christ. He's the good seed. He's the seed of Abraham. He's the one that's planted in the heart. And sometimes people respond, and sometimes people don't. But sometimes people respond, and 30, 60, 100 times what was sown is reaped. I've got to make this point here. People do not come to Jesus by osmosis. Sometimes we believe, as sowers, that if I can just get people close enough to a sack of seeds, <laughs> that they'll be okay. So You'll hear people say, well, I don't really want to share Christ, but what I want to do is live such a good example that they will see me... And they'll come to Christ. I've never followed that logic. I understand you should live a good life. And I understand the power of example. But at some point, sower's got to sow. Sower's got to speak up. Sower's got to say something. And so you can write down Mark chapter 16, verse 16, is a simple command that Jesus said, Here's what, here's something you could do. Send a text message, send a Facebook message today to somebody who's on your list and say, Friend, you have been on my heart. I've been thinking about you. And today in church, we were talking about coming to Christ and I wanted to know if you're a Christian. Or, or you can say, I, I, I want you to know Christ. I, you can't be ready for eternity without him. So I'd like to share with you a verse. And you give him Mark 16, 16. All you're doing is planting a seed. You can share the other verses as well. Acts 2, 37, 38. Romans 6, 1 through 5. Hebrews 9, 27, 28. You can share all of those verses or some. But you have to share something. You say, preacher, you don't understand. I'm an introvert. I don't talk to people. That's not my personality. It's not my skill set. It's not my gift. I understand that. But you have people in your circle who will be at your funeral. Will they be ready for eternity? It's not right for you to have the gift of eternity within your heart and never say a word about it. Someone once uh, mentioned in this series that there's an old hymn that, that goes, you never mentioned him to me. Think of all the conversations you'll have this week about all sorts of inconsequential worldly matters. My question will be, will Christ be a part of any of that? we got to share Christ. You say, well, I really don't know how to do it. Okay, here we go. Take a pew Bible. Grab a pew Bible. Go ahead and do it right now. Grab a pew Bible. There's a pew Bible in front of you. Grab one. Turn to page 1,368. You say, I don't know how to share Jesus. I know you gave me those scriptures, but... I'm still kind of scared. All right, good. I hope there's, uh, the pews are empty of Bibles today. Because on page 1,368 in the Pew Bible is a Bible study with scriptures that you can lead someone and show someone the way to Jesus. You don't have to do anything. Take the Bible with you today. Send a message. Say, you've been on my heart. And begin studying. Just say, hey, I want to read through. I'm not great at this, but you've been on my heart. I want you to be ready for eternity. Will you do that with me? And then just follow the steps. It's it's laid out right there. You don't have to have the personality. You just have to have a heart for the lost. You just have to love the lost. You just have to believe that there's more room in the lifeboat. All right. So take that Bible with you. In fact, if you're so inclined... Write the name of the person who you're going to share it with on the inside page. Write their name on it so that you'll be motivated to share that Bible with them and study with them the Word of God. Now, second, open your home. We're past pandemic, you know, all of that, but I want you to think about, this really convicted me, we've got a wall in our house with names full of people that we've had over But I started looking at the number of people who didn't know Christ, who I brought into my home, and I was ashamed. I know I'm supposed to minister to the saved too. I get that. But I want to encourage you to consider using your home as a ministry to reach the lost. Raymond Williams was telling me that when he was growing up, Ray, are you in here? There he is, right at the back. Ben Williams told me when he was growing up, he knew if he brought his teammates over to his house, they were not leaving the house without hearing the gospel. His mom and dad were going to share the gospel. He baptized many of his teammates into Christ because his parents knew there were bigger matters than football. They were that convinced. They used their home as a ministry opportunity. We got small groups, craziest amount of small groups we got, I was talking to a guy yesterday who said there was a group of, of couples that met yesterday for a Bible study. That's wonderful. That's a good thing to do. My question is, is there any invitation to the lost, to those groups? Or is your group just a lifeboat group, just, just all people who are going to heaven together? Put an empty chair in your group and say, hey, let's make this a group where we invite the lost. If your small group is meeting and you've got someone on your heart, and you don't want to share the scriptures, open the Bible, all right. Hey, we're, gonna, we're having a small group meeting. Come, won't you? And everybody share their story about being a Christian, the difference that Christ has made in your life. Open your home or use somebody else's home. And the last thing is witness. And I get in Church of Christ, we don't use that word very much. But I want to I just describe what I mean by that. Share your story of who you were and who you are. The Apostle Paul said, for I am the least of the apostles and worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. He shared his former life and he shared his current life. And he shared about the grace and power of Jesus. You have a story too. If you're a Christian, you should have a story to tell. And witnessing simply means to share your story. If you don't know how to do that, go to CR on Thursday nights. They do a lot of that. That's great. Learn how to tell your story so that your story can impact someone else's. All right. I know we're long, but I wanted to make sure you got some practicals. To share Christ, to open your home, to witness to others. This, again, is more about practical than personal. But I'll issue this invitation this morning. If you don't know Christ, you say, how do I know Christ? Well... Have you done what he said to do? Mark 16, 16, Jesus said you've got to believe and be baptized to be saved. All right? Baptism is not how you're saved, it's when you're saved. If you haven't been baptized into Christ, you're not in Christ, you don't know Christ. If you haven't done that this morning and you realize that, you say, okay, well, if I haven't done it and I need to do it, and Jesus said to do it, I'll do it this morning. In a second, we're going to sing a song, we're going to have a shepherd at the back, go to the back, say, I'm ready to obey Christ. And you can do that, and we'll begin your journey with you. But if you've been convicted that you haven't been sharing Christ, that you've just been very comfortable in the lifeboat, well, I want to I encourage you to repent. I want to encourage you to begin being serious about reaching the loss that Jesus called us to reach. If you have a spiritual need, won't you respond to the shepherds at the back as together we sing this song.